I know that this uh, sermon series has been Fear Not. Um, and when, when I read through the title, so many things came to my mind. But the first thing that came to my mind was it's a very timely series. It is a timely series because this is actually the month known in America where things are glorified that have to do with fear. And I'm talking about the evil... Um, you know, Halloween holiday. And for those of you that are wondering, why did he say evil? Don't worry. I, I, I mean, you'll, you can get some understanding. I know we're going to be giving a lot of direction in our congregations about what Halloween is and why we do not celebrate it. But the reality is that many people feel fear, not just during this month, but in general. Many people walk around with fear in their minds, in their hearts. Some of you today might be here and there is something that has gripped your heart that you're fearing fear motivates many people's actions to the point that they almost seem like they're living in bondage maybe you feel like hey i am in so much fear of something that there's a bondage that you feel like you can't go left you can't go right and what do people fear in 2018 there was an article that was called America, Land of Many Fears. And in it, it named five things that most people in America fear. And the first thing is corrupt politicians. Interesting. The second thing was not enough health care. People worry they're going to get sick and not be able to afford it. The third thing is pollution in our drinking water. These are real fears that people have in America. Number four was an economic financial collapse. And number five is the U.S. involvement in another war. These are real fears that people actually wake up thinking about, go to bed thinking about, walk throughout their day worrying about. And according to the article titled Teen Fears and Phobia, which was an article from a December 23, 2021 study, the things that young people fear was a little different. What do they fear? Number one was fear of their parents divorcing. Think about that, parents. Fear of your parents divorcing. That was their greatest fear. Number two was fear of not doing well in school. I would have thought that was at the bottom of the list. Some people seem like they don't care, but I guess kids care about not doing well in school. Number three was fear of sickness because during that study was the time of COVID. So a lot of kids were afraid of sickness. Other things that were going on were disasters and fires. So a lot of kids feared disasters, tornadoes and fires and earthquakes. And the last one was a fear of experiencing peer pressure or peer rejection. See, these are real fears for real people. Can I get an amen? Maybe what you're worried about didn't make the list, but regardless, there's something that people fear. You fear, different people fear different things, but they are real fears. For anyone to tell you you shouldn't be afraid of that is not really fair because you're experiencing it. These are real fears because in their lives, these are real things, but unfortunately, for example, with the young people, sometimes many seasoned Christians sometimes minimize young people's concerns. It's easy to look at a young person, oh, what are you worried about? That's nothing. You don't got to worry about that. In my day, and we go back into 
you know, the ancient times, just plain, that's a joke. And we bring things up like you shouldn't worry about that, but the reality is for them that is a real fear. We, as more mature Christians, should be doing something which is called validating them when they have those fears. Because the reality is, is if we do not validate what they are feeling regarding what they fear, we are in a real danger of losing a very important people group that God is bringing to our churches. There's also another staggering statistic which I as a pastor fear, and I know probably Pastor Richard does, and I'll be a pastor here that's honest, will say what this statistic says is by the time kids turn 18 to 21, 80% of them leave the church. That's a real fear. But you want to know why I think that happens? Because I think there's not enough validation that goes on for those 80% while they're there. Now, I don't believe that for our churches because our churches have great youth programs. And I'm not just saying that. I know that. I know that. I remember back during the 180 days. Raise your hand if you remember the 180. Yes, okay. I remember during those days, kids were out there packed in the parking lot. Kids were being bussed in from all over. I even remember picking kids up in the, the big blue little bus in East L.A. I mean, Pastor Richard did all he could do to get the kids here, and praise God for that. But the reality is, is we have to always understand that these young people are very important to God. According to research by Christianity Today, this is what they stated. Teenagers today are the most unreachable people for Christ in the nation. Teenagers are the most unreachable people groups in the nation. Why? It's not the senior citizens. It's not the, uh, let's say, those that come from a different country. No, it's the teenagers. And then the study goes on to show that less than 10% of American youth have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Less than 10% of American youth. You know, every year it gets smaller and smaller. Kids aren't being taught about what salvation is. Kids aren't being taught about why it's important to be saved. But like I said before, in our churches, we're blessed. We have Impact Royal Rangers, the youth groups that are always teaching the kids about why it's important to stay saved and why it's important to come to church and why it's important to know who God is and who Jesus Christ is. I believe that God wants us to appreciate our young people. Can I get an amen? Come on. I believe that he wants us to appreciate them even more than what we are appreciating them. But I want everyone here today that is a young adult, has a young adult in their family, ministers in ministry to young adults, or soon going to be a young adult, to know this. That means this sermon is for everybody. Fear not. Trust in God. And know that he's going to work everything out for you, or your kids, or your adults, or those in ministry that you're ministering to. He's going to work it out, church. You know, it, it, it's, it's like a good thing, but it's kind of like a sad thing because I feel for it. But when you're in ministry and you're working with youth and you see your youth going through something, it kind of burdens your soul if you're a youth worker. And, and you feel bad because you're like, oh, man, I want them to stay safe so bad. And when, and, and, and when they stumble or fall or go this way or that way, it hurts. 
But in a way, it's good that you feel like that because that means you have a heart and a soul for young people. Amen? I, I, I want to share something in regards to fear because fear is a real thing. Pastor Sergio Romo, I remember when I was a younger Christian uh, about 18 years ago. So I was about, I don't know, maybe I was about 20. No, I'm just playing. I called Pastor Sergio because my wife and I had an experience with a demon-possessed woman. And to be quite honest, I called him because the event was like stuff straight out of the movies. I'm not going to get into the details. I'm not going to scare you guys, but it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing that I've experienced. Um, and to this day, I still haven't experienced something like that. Um, and I called him because I was trying to make sense of the situation. Again, it was 18 years ago, um, and what we saw took place was just very uh, interesting. And what Pastor Sergio told me was this. He said, Jose, you need to understand something. I remember I called him on my way to work on a Sunday, because it happened on Easter, actually. And I called him on, work, on my way to work on Monday, after Sunday, I'm sorry. And he picked up his phone, and he says, Jose, you need to understand something. The devil operates on fear. The devil operates on fear. I think he told me this because he may have sensed a little bit of fear in me. But what he said was actually a revelation to me. That one of the greatest tools that the devil uses is fear. One of the tool bag, I mean, one of the tools in his tool bag that he uses is fear. Fear is real. And he uses it all the time. And what he does is he lies. That's his M.O., he uses lies to bring fear. Some of you might be sitting here and you're worrying about, oh my gosh, is my house on fire? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, did I turn off the oven? Did I turn off the stove? Oh my gosh. And you start to fear. And what he's doing is he's distracting you. Some of you are thinking about things right now as I speak. You're not even paying attention to me, but now you are. And what's going on is you're thinking and thinking about this and about that and what's going to happen and what do I do, what do I do, do what I, and, and you're in fear. And that's what the devil does. He operates on fear because he's a liar. Because he's a liar. The majority of the things he tells you aren't even true, aren't even so, aren't even things to worry about. But he has a lot of Christians bound in fear, and they are immobile, unable to do what they're called to do. And he works on the young people starting young. Because if he can immobilize them young with fear then they don't grow up to reach the potential that God wants them to. Fear is one of Satan's tools, which is why I believe God tells us in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. God tells us not to fear because of who he is. Let me repeat that. God tells us not to fear because of who he is. He tells us who he is twice in what I just read. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. He states two times, I am. I am. I am with you, and I am your God. I am. Remember when Abraham talked to God, and what did God tell him when he said, what's your name? Or was it Moses? He says, I am. Amen. What's your name? I am. What he was basically saying is that who he is belongs to us. He says, I am with you. 
That has to do with us. I am your God. That has to do with us. Catch the revelation of this. God identifies himself based on who he is for us. Did you catch that? This is deep. God tells us who he is based on who he is for us. Not based on who he is in heaven, all the splendor and all the might. He doesn't say, I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He doesn't say that. We name him that. We call him that. The angels call him that. But when he names himself, he names himself based on what? Who he is to you and I. Hmm. Wow. That's what makes our God such an awesome God and such a relatable God and such a God of relationship. Do you understand? When people want to ask you what makes your God so special, say, my God is a God of relationship. My God is a God that knows me, that cares about me, that is with me, that fights for me, that watches over me, that delivers me. Amen? That lifts me up. You see, he affiliates with us. And think about it. He's willing to claim us when he's describing himself of all the things he shouldn't do is claim us. Because we know us, right? It's like, oh, God, you want nothing to do with me. Like Peter told Jesus, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But see, that's what God does. He approaches us. He gets into the boat with us. He gets into our life with us. And he approaches us in our circumstance, in our lifestyle. And sometimes we feel like, God, I don't deserve this. But God's like, no, you don't understand. This is why I came, to get into your boat, to get into your life, to get into your situation. Fear not. One of the descriptions and characteristics of God, if we're talking about who he is, I am, I'm going to tell you one thing he is. He is mighty, amen? He is a mighty God. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to fight. He's mighty to win our battles. He's mighty enough to defeat the enemy for us. Amen? We have nothing to fear with a God of might, do we? Think about it, church. Our God is a God of might. I pray this is encouraging somebody here that maybe you think the battle is too much, that the enemy is too strong. Can I tell you that my God is mightier than anything that you're going through right now? That my God, your God is mightier and more powerful than your circumstance, than your doubt, than your fear. We have nothing to fear with God. In the Bible, God has shown this might through the lives of young people. And I believe God's might is also still at work in the lives of young people and young adults today. I see it here in Norwalk. With all the people that are involved in ministry that are young adults or teens, I see it. They're serving Christ. They're even in the commercials. I mean, they're like, they, they got it all down packed. Now, now, I'm saying that, please do not, anyone that's not young, don't think we're, I'm leaving you out. I'm not. Okay? But what I am saying is let's encourage them. Okay? God has a plan for everybody in this place. But what I see is that God is still moving through young people like he did in the Old Testament, the New Testament. He continues to still move today. And we cannot, as Christians, deny that or reject that because that is a method that God has chosen to use. And we have even begun to see it in many of our young people and our preteens at New Harvest Anaheim that are rising up to serve in ministry. I got to brag a little bit on them. I'm proud of them. They're in sound, they're in lights, they're in media, they're in nursery. They want to be involved. They're excited. 
we have our ministry trainings and they're excited. They want to learn. Gosh, and I think, man, God's doing a great thing. They're so eager. This is evidence of the mighty power of God, church. Think about it. Think about it. I remember when I was a young person their age, I had no ideas and thoughts about wanting to get saved, nor did I want to serve in the church. And many of you probably had no idea that's what you wanted to do either, right? That's the power and the might of God. And tonight we're going to look at some of these young people in the Bible and the might that he demonstrated through them. So if you don't mind, let's, let's get into some characters here of the Bible that are real people. Joseph in the Old Testament, number one. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Joseph was, if you don't know the story of Joseph, it's in Genesis. You need to read it tonight. Go home and read it. It's, 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 it's not just a story made up. It's a real life account. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was about 17 years old. I'm sure he was afraid as he sat in that dark pit, that lonely dark pit as his brother's voices went away in the distance before he basically was bought by the Egyptian slave owners and slave traders. I'm pretty sure he felt afraid. What's going to happen to me? Where are they going to take me? Am I ever going to see my family again? Am I ever going to see my dad again? Am I ever going to be able to become what I've wanted to become my whole life? Many young people have these same fears when things go wrong in their life. Am I ever going to be able to reach my potential? Am I ever going to be able to fulfill my dreams? Joseph was accused also later falsely of rape and thrown into prison. I'm sure there he was afraid. But you know what? He didn't let fear overtake him if you read the story of Joseph in Genesis. And we know this because the Bible tells us that as while he was serving time in prison, at the same time he was interpreting dreams and being a good testimony. Look at what some of his sallies have said about him. Genesis chapter 41, verse 12 to 13. Look at what some of his cellmates said. They said, now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So these cellmates of Joseph are testifying about who Joseph is in jail. Joseph did not let the circumstance that he was in, being accused falsely, being thrown in jail with hardened criminals, Joseph did not let that bring fear into his life. He continued to say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to continue to use the gifts of God that he has given me. I'm not going to stop just because situations are different around me. He could have feared being in jail, but he didn't fear. Instead, he trusted that God would work everything out. As a matter of fact, it states here that he had risen up in the jail and was the warden's assistant. So he was being a good testimony in jail that even the warden was like, man, I need you to help me out. You see, church, did you know that even in horrible situations, God could still raise you up? Did you know even when you think things are going so bad, so south, so quick, God says, it doesn't matter, you still live for me and I'm going to still raise you up where you're at. 17 years young. By that time, he might have been 21. I don't know. Still a young man. 
But you know what is also awesome about Joseph is he didn't let position get to his head, no. He was still willing to minister the good news even while he was in jail. Understand, he was already the warden's assistant, and these two guys were talking about their dreams. He could have been like, man, get out of here. You're beneath me. But no, he's like, hey, what was your dream? He said, mm, I can interpret that. God wants you to know, boom, 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 boom. You see, what I love about Joseph is even though he was in jail, he was still humble. Even as he was humbled, he still walked humble. He didn't think he was better because he had risen up to a level of position. Young person, young adult, here's a good lesson. Don't let position in ministry or amongst your friend group get to your head. Serve humbly and always look for opportunities to share the good news just like Joseph did. Don't let it get to your head because you're Mr. Popular or Mrs. Popular. That doesn't matter. Don't, don't let it get to your head because now you're the assistant or you're, you're rising up in your ministry. Don't ever let that get to your head. You always serve humble. Another great example of young adults that did not fear as Joseph did not fear was Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Now these young men... And see, and by the way, if you don't know where this is, it's called the Old Testament. I, I want to stop real quick. A lot of Christians shy away from the Old Testament. Don't read. There are great life lessons in the Old Testament. Don't, I, I know you, you want to talk about Jesus, Pastor. No, of course it is. But Jesus was then as he is now. It's not like he wasn't in the Old Testament. You just got to read. As a matter of fact, Jesus showed up in the story of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If you read... Now these young men, it is said, they came from nobility. They came from higher class families. Back then, the class system was a thing. Nowadays, people don't care. You know, they don't look, oh, you're from here. Oh, ooh, you're awesome. No, but back then, that was a thing. If you came from a well-known family, it meant power, it meant authority, it meant position. But can I say, New Harvest, young people, teens, and young adults, you too come from spiritual nobility. Amen. You come from spiritual nobility. You are the sons and daughters of a king, amen? You are princes and princesses in the eyes of our king. You come from a holy family of believers in Christ. You have nothing to be ashamed of, nor do you have anything to fear. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be successful against us? And that's an important scripture because that these four men, something took place. They were living the high life. They were doing well. They were nobility. They had things. They had position. They had the good food. They had the good servants. They had servants. They had the nice clothes. But yet the Babylonians came, and in an instant, all that was gone. This is what you don't understand about this story because it doesn't really focus in on it too much. But a lot of their family members were either killed or taken into slavery. So it was a scary time for them. What they knew, what they were accustomed to, in one moment the, the, the Babylonians came and stripped all of them of it, took their parents, might have killed their parents, their household servants, their friends, their neighbors, gone. And they only kept some of the nobles around for a reason. These four men that are mentioned in the Bible, 
Their whole nation was taken captive. It was a fearful time. It was a scary time. But you wouldn't know by the way that the Bible describes these men and the way they carried themselves. But understand, they lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their families. They lost their position. These young men had something to truly fear. These friends and family had been slaughtered, and now they were being kidnapped. They didn't just get left behind. Now they got taken. Go grab them. Get them. Come on, you're coming. They had no idea where they were going. They didn't know what Nebuchadnezzar's plans were. They might have thought, oh, my God, we're going to go get hanged. We're going to go get killed. We're, who knows what they're going to they're sell us into slavery. They could have feared. I bet you they did. Most real people with blood and skin and hair that are alive would fear what was going on based on everything that they saw. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 then verse 3 to 8, bear with me. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. That means they were smart, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine for the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name of the Shazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. To me, Daniel and his companions were true men that lived in the world, but were not of it. They lived in a brand new world, and who do they think they are to discuss the menu? They were prisoners. They were taken captive. And in their right, they feel they can talk about, we don't want to eat that food. Were they being self-righteous? No, they were not. They were being true to God. They were being true to God. It states in verse 8, that Daniel resolved to not defile himself with food. Now, what you don't know is that in those days, the food was sacrificed to idols. So he knew, I can't eat that because they're praying over it to their false gods. And the Lord forbids it. Yahweh forbids it. I will not do that. I don't care if that's the only food I have to eat. And nor would he defile himself with alcohol. So if you ever want to know where the Bible says you shouldn't drink, there's one scripture. Some people, that matters. And by the way, as a side note, I'm just going to throw this out there. When you read the word wine in the Bible, I hope people don't stone me, but I'm going to tell you right now. When you read the word wine in the Bible, it's a translation of two Hebrew words. And only if you read the Hebrew words, one being yanin and the other one, I can't pronounce it, they mean two different things, one being fermented grape juice, one being unfermented grape juice. So it's actually a mistranslation when you read wine. 
So when you think, oh, see, they, they, they have wine, they have wine, doesn't mean alcoholic wine like you and I know it. You better go into the Hebrew, and you'll probably find out they mean the grape juice. And the one Jesus turned into wine, guess which one that was? Unfermented. So if you think drinking is cool, I hope that changes your mind. But anyways, there you go. But these young men had no fear. They were given the best wine, the best meat, the best food. And right away they said, no, we can't have it. I mean, these guys were brave. Understand, back then, if you went against a king's edict, you were a dead man. There was no, there was no trial. You didn't get no lawyer. You didn't get no hearing or jury. No, back then you said no to the king, that's it, you're dead. How do I know this? Look at what it says, even the caretaker that was afraid of what they were doing and afraid of the king, this is what it says in verse 10. It says, the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So he was afraid for his life. He's like, Daniel, you're asking me to go to the king and say that you're saying no? Dude, they're going to kill me just for messaging that. You see, these were times to be afraid, church. These were times where the men, these young men, were going to lose their life if they didn't do what the king said. Can I encourage you, young person? You have nothing to fear. Nobody's taking your life. Nobody's threatened to kill you. Nobody is going to throw you in jail because of what you believe. You have to stand firm. You have to hold on. But you know what it was? Daniel feared the Lord more than he feared the world. He feared the Lord more than he feared the king of Babylon. And this is where peer pressure comes into play. Because teens, you fear what people think. Young adults, you fear what your friends might think if you say something uh, about God. Or if you say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't watch that because I don't know if I feel good about that. I feel conviction. And that could even be amongst your friend group within the church. You see, you got to understand, if you have a conviction, you need to live by it, regardless if they like it or if they don't. Because you're living with your true convictions unto the Lord. If God is telling you you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Don't you feel peer pressured into doing it. Because you're doing it unto the Lord. You're not doing it for your friends. Which leads to my next point. The opposite of fear is courage. Courage. Young person, if you have resolve as Daniel had resolve, that means you're decided. When somebody says they have resolve, that means Daniel decided already. He probably had a long way because they, they didn't have cars back then. They had them in shackles, and they took a long 900-mile walk to Babylon. When was the last time you walked 900 miles? Okay, that's about how long it is. They took a 900-mile walk to Babylon. Took a couple, almost a month and a half probably. A lot of time to think, what's going to happen to me? What am I going to do? Should I just... Say, oh, well, you know what? Might as well get used to this. This is my life now. Find myself a nice Babylonian woman. Get married, get settled down. I guess this is God's will. No, he thought about it. No, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know I got to believe in you. I got to trust in you. I got to know 
whether I'm in shackles or whether I'm free, you're still God. I got to know whether I'm in Israel or whether I'm in Babylon, you're still God. Whether I eat meat or whether I don't, you're still God. You see, he had a long time to think about it. Young person, can I give you a word of advice? Think about your life. Think about your life. What are you doing and where are you going? What's your goal? What's your purpose? I believe Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had a long time to think about it. You have options. What, what are you thinking about? What is your goal? What does your future hold? Have you decided? Have you come to a place of resolve and said, no matter what, I'm not going to do this. I don't care if the guy that walks through the church doors next week is the most handsome young man. I'm going to stay true to the Lord. I'm not going to fight amongst the other sisters to sit next to him. Or guys, I'm not going to, you know, crawl over all the other, to get to that girl. No, see, you have to have resolve. You have to decide right now. Because when the moment comes, you'll be able to stand firm. The ones that stumble are the ones that haven't decided. They haven't thought about it. Young person, start to think. This is a fearless life when you have resolve. When you have resolved, you've decided, you're not shaken, you're not moved, you're not afraid. This is a life of courage. You won't care what the world thinks about you. You will care more about what God thinks about you. You see, this is what God is trying to raise up in all of us, but especially in our young people, because they're facing a very difficult time. They are going into a workforce that is very hostile more hostile than when we went into the workforce. Amen. It's a reality. This world is going in the direction of what Isaiah stated in Isaiah 5, verse 20 to 21. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that count darkness as light and light as darkness. That's what's going on. What used to be known as evil and not right with God, now people are embracing People are promoting it. This is the era where major religions, by the way, Christian churches, denominations, are making public declarations to align themselves with what God has already called evil. Did you hear what I'm saying? Whole denominations are being split in half. Denominations that are over 700 years old. Cut in half because half of the church says, from now on, we are going to ordain these types of people. And the other people are saying, but that's against what God said. And they're saying, well, too bad you're either with us or you're against us. Major denominations breaking apart because people are calling things that were evil good. And things that are good, evil. This is the era, church. These are dark times, and this is the era that we need to be courageous and not fearful. Fear not. God's going to take care of us in this dark world, just like he took care of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who showed up in the fiery flame in the furnace when they were thrown in. Jesus, the Son of God, showed up. Even Nebuchadnezzar was like, whoa. Who is that fourth man in there? Didn't we only throw three? He looks like the son of God. He was right about that because he was the son of God. You see, Jesus will show up in the midst of your dark times. 
Jesus will show up in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of the things that come against you. Jesus will show up and protect you. It said not a hair was singed on their life. Jesus will protect you. When everybody else is getting fired, you're going to get a raise. That's what God does. When everybody else is losing out on things, God promotes you instead of makes you lose things. Let's see what God did for these young men. It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. By the way, that means you need to surround yourself amongst godly people. Amen. You're stronger together. Yes. You see, Daniel didn't try to do it alone. Neither did Meshach, Shadrach, or Abednego. They all hung out together. Find the group of people, even if you're outnumbered. They were outnumbered. They were in a pagan land, and they came together, and they stood strong, and they stood out. And it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. God gave these men two things because they walked in courage. Two things. Number one, he gave them knowledge, understanding, and learning. Church, can I tell you, if you want to do good in school, if you're in school, young person or even adult, if you want to do good in school, serve God, be fearless, have courage, because that's what the Bible says, that he'll hook you up with knowledge, understanding, and learning. It's practical. I remember preaching this to the Royal Rangers during devotions. I'd be like, who's having a hard time in school? And half the kids would raise up their hand. And I'd read them the story of Daniel, and I said, they became smart. God blessed them with smarts. Did you know God can bless you with smarts? That's what the Bible says. God gave them understanding and learning. It's an anointing to be smart. It's an anointing. The second thing he gave them, it says that God gave him spiritual gifts which is the ability to understand visions and dreams. You know, when you're courageous for God, he gives you the practical, and he anoints you in the practical, which means at school or work and your family, but he also gives you the spiritual, amen? God is a God that's spiritual. Did you know that? Did you know God wants to raise up young people that have these two types of qualities? God wants people that are wise, that are smart, that are not afraid to learn a few things. You know, in order to learn, you got to be humble. You got to be willing to receive from your teacher. Jesus said, no student is greater than his teacher. So what that means is when some of the older seasoned folks in the church, young person, are trying to teach you something, let your pride aside a little bit and learn something. They're trying to teach you. They're trying to help you learn. Amen. Seasoned, you guys, seasoned folks, you missed a good time to say amen. Learn from them. Now, I know you might be like, no, but I got a better way. You might, but learn. Listen. 
Same thing that I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about even maturity and the things of God. If you're just brand new saved and you feel the fire of the Holy Ghost and you speak in tongues, praise God. But if there's somebody more mature that's been in the things of God longer, heed any instruction and guidance that they give you. They speak with experience. Understand that. Don't think they don't know nothing. They didn't come from my lifestyle. Yeah, but you know what? They stayed this saved long enough makes you wonder they must have something good that they're doing. So you got to be willing to learn. But the other piece is what God wants to give you, spiritual anointing. You know what saddens me, I think, and what saddens a lot of the angels in heaven probably is that a lot of us don't walk in our anointing. A lot of us do not walk in our anointing. You have the knowledge. You have the wisdom. You know your Bible front and back. You can read the Torah, memorize it, whatever. That's great. But the spiritual anointing is something you haven't been working on. Did you know you should let God do something in your life regarding the anointing? What is your anointing? What is your spiritual gift? Oh, I don't know, pastor. I don't have one. That's not true because the Bible says here that God gives it to you. He gives you both. And it says that 10 times better than the world. Oh, who receives that, amen? Who wants a double dose of the Holy Ghost? How about a, 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 a tenth of the Holy Ghost? That, 10 times. Jeez. So you see, Daniel and his companions had no fear, none, because they loved God. They loved God. That's why they received so much wisdom and understanding. That's why they received the anointing and the presence of God. That's why they received the attention of Jesus to the point that he came into their hard, dire situation. Why? Because they love God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Where God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out fear. You see, when you love Jesus, you're not afraid, church. When you love God, you're not afraid of things that most people are afraid of. And if you start to feel fear, it's a natural thing, but you need to trust in the love of God for you. And when you start to call upon the love of Christ, said, God, you love me, help me through this hard time, the fear begins to diminish. Young person, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. Whatever lifestyle you come from, whatever family circumstance that you live in, fear not. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Joseph, they were in messed up situations, but they had two things in common. They were young and they loved God. And because they loved God and they were resolved, people took notice and they received the favor of people and of God. How many of you guys want the favor of your boss? How many of you guys want the favor of your parents? How many of you guys want the favor of your church? Amen. Some people are like, should I raise my hand? Yeah, raise your hand. You can, don't be shy. We should desire that favor. But that happens when you start to love God in such a way that God takes notice. And when God's love is there, you're not afraid. Fear diminishes. Fear must go. In closing, James S. Stewart stated this in the book, the gates of new life. He stated this, to know God is courage and it is peace, but above all, it is power.
To know God is courage. It is peace. But above all, it is power. We need power in our lives, church. Young person, you need power in your life because you're going into a world, you're going into a school system where you will get put down if you don't agree with their thinking. Where you will get made fun of if you disagree with whatever they teach. But you got to have resolve if you're going to make it through. Because God will be with you. Fear not. Be courageous and know that you're not alone. Amen. You can bow your heads. To know God is courage. One of the most courageous things you and I could do is accept Christ. Jesus said that those that accept me before men, I will accept before my Father in heaven. And the reason I believe that God accepts people that do it publicly is because he sees that it took courage for them to do that. And he sees if they are willing to accept me in front of a bunch of people in the church, that people that they don't even know, they're willing to say, yes, I need Jesus. I need salvation. When Jesus sees that, he shows up and it inspires him. And then it says he accepts us. If you're in this place and you have not accepted Jesus into your heart, you have not made that public declaration. And let me be clear, I accepted Jesus when I got saved in, in my 77 Chevy Nova by myself in the car. And I cried out to God. But, but I fought him for a year. Um, and it wasn't until I walked into this church that I remember making that public declaration a whole year later and walking up to the altar and asking God to forgive me of my sins. And it was from that moment on that my life changed. I believe there are many of you in this place that you've asked Jesus into your heart. You've accepted Jesus in your heart, but you've done it privately. Romans says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you shall be saved. Why is the confession so important? Why does God want you to say it out loud? Isn't it enough for you to know that in my heart I believe Jesus, that in my heart God knows? Yes, it is good, is it enough? But God needs somebody else to know so that the bondage can break. You see, I believe that he wants the devil to hear you proclaim the name of Jesus. Because the moment the devil hears it, he has to leave you alone. Because the devil can't read your mind. The devil doesn't know what's in your heart. Only God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. The devil is not. So we have to confess. Let the devil hear. Let all of hell know that today you're giving your life to Jesus. That today you are proclaiming yourself to be a follower of Christ. Not perfect, but you're taking the step. Is there any brave souls today that want to take that step? Anybody that wants to make that public declaration? Amen. God sees that hand, young man. Praise God. Amen. Jesus said, let the little ones come. Amen. Anybody else in this place that would like to accept Jesus into their heart? Anybody. Don't fight it. 
I fought it for a year and it was the hardest year of my life when I was fighting God. And that was after I got saved, but I was doing it my way. You can't do it your way. You gotta do it God's way. I believe there's someone in this place. Yes, God sees that hand, amen. God sees that hand. God's telling you, stop doing it your way, do it my way. It's time for you to make a public declaration, have some courage. And guess what, when you take that step of courage, your faith increases, your courage increases. And the devil has to back up because he sees somebody that's on fire, somebody that's not afraid, somebody that's not fearful. Anybody else? I think there's more people in this place. I feel it, I sense it. Anybody else? We already have two. Don't, don't hold back. We'll wait long if we have to. Anybody in this place? I would like to accept Jesus into their heart. Anyone. Up at the top, amen. I see that hand, praise God. Up at the top over here, I see those two hands, amen. Praise God. You see, God is calling, he's stirring, he's inspiring people. That hand back there, praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, hands are going up, church. Hands right here, hallelujah. God said it's time. My people need to step out into the darkness. God sees that hand. Amen. Praise God. Man, young people raising their hand. Hallelujah. God sees that hand. Amen. I'm already losing count, so ushers, you're going to have to help me. Amen. God sees that hand to my left. You see, I believe God is raising up Meshach, Shadrach, Daniels, Abednego's, Joseph's. It's that time he's trying to say, I need people that are going to rise up for me. That no matter how dark it is in the world, they're not going to be afraid because I'm with them. I will light their path. I will be with them. He will protect you. Don't be afraid. He will watch over you. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? Amen. God sees that hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God sees that hand in the back, amen. You know what I want? If you're in this place and you raise your hand, I don't like to do this, but I'm gonna do it because this is gonna be a courageous step you're gonna take. Without everybody else standing up, if you raise your hand, I want you to stand up. Stand up, don't worry, there's about 10 of you, amen. Praise God, right here, praise God, praise God, amen. Praise God, hallelujah. In the back, you guys raise up, stand up. Come on, stand up, stand up, amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna need about 10 altar workers. Praise God. I want you all that stood up to make your way down here. Make your way down to the stage, to the altar. Come on, come on. The altar is a place of surrender. The altar is a place where we lay our life before the Lord and He sees us for who we are. He sees that we're lost. He sees that we're broken. But He also sees that we want Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, young man. Come on. Come on. Amen. Praise God. Someone's going to pray with you right now. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. This is what it's about, church. God wants to raise up people without fear. It's time when Christians are backing away from the truth of God that others rise up in their stead. Amen, young boys. Come on up. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God loves all you youngsters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's more coming. Praise God. Give God praise, church. Come on. Salvation. Hallelujah. Fire. Joy. Peace. These are the things that God promises to those that come unto him. You will never have to fight alone. You will never have to feel defeat again because our God is a mighty God, a God of victory. He's going to help you through your family situation. He's going to help you through whatever you're facing in your jobs. He's going to help you with whatever sickness you're battling. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, for this salvation, God. Touch their hearts, Father God. Fill them with the fire of your Holy Ghost, Lord God. That they would stay true, God. That they would hold on to you no matter what, Father God. Lord God, that they would bear fruit, God. Fruit that would last, Lord God. Hallelujah. Raise them up, protect them, God. Cap your angels around them, Father God. In Jesus' mighty name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want you. Time, anybody else? Anybody else? You didn't come, but you feel like you should. Come on up. Come on up. God wants to prepare you for the future. And you're gonna need Him. You're gonna need Him on your side. Anybody, anybody. Anybody else? Church, at this time. As this miracle takes place at the altar, I'm sorry. If you're in this place, when I've come with my agenda, and you want God to raise you up to be courageous, if you want more courage, if you want more strength in your walk, come up to the altar. We're not praying for you. Come on, church. This is for the church. You want courage, you want strength. We're not done. God's not done. Hallelujah. Our God is a powerful God. The devil operates on fear, but God operates on courage. We need courage as believers. We have to resist. It's not easy, but God will give you the courage. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard, but God will help you through. Whoever you If you want courage, come on up. If you want God to strengthen you in your circumstances, come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory. Come on up. Pastors, come up and help us pray. Help us pray for these people. Help us pray. Hallelujah.